sitting at house of mercy on the water's edge was the man who met the Savior so the gospel said Waiting for the waters to stir We're just sitting at the house of mercy Waiting for the waters to stir Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Hey, welcome to this. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent, which means Christmas is nigh. Exciting. Um, you know, if you're visiting or you haven't been here in a while, it's great to see you. Yeah, it is. You know what? Even if you were here last week, it's great to see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was going to say, this is actually the first Sunday we are live streaming. So if you're home, does this work? Like What? No. They would have to know it's live streaming to be... You can't make an announcement to them at home right. telling them that <laughs> they should stream, stream it. <laughs> <laughs> well, from now on, if you go to the website, there's going to be a place where you can hit live streaming. Right now, you could do that right now, and you can go there and you could stream it from your phone while you're actually here. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Um, also, too, a lot of people uh, have been missing the program. They like to know when things are going to happen, what hymns there are. Um, and also, people really like to, uh, you know, draw during the sermon. So we've put that online, too. You can go to the, you can go to the website, and there's the program for the, the day. And then if you have a stylus, there's a place for you to draw on it. Oh, amazing. Or a Sharpie works, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's also the podcast, so three formats, would you call them? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Real life, live streaming, and the podcast. Yeah, it's so. really great. That's been great. Okay, um, today uh, is uh, pageant day. Yeah. yeah. It's well, we, pageant day. We wait it's, all uh, year for this. I know, this yeah. is... You can see we got some costumes out there, and uh, that's going to come up. And we're just glad to. Uh, and hi to all the uh, people at home watching the pageant. Yeah, yeah, hi. Yeah. You know they stopped carrying the pageant for a while, but now they're broadcasting it again. Oh, there's a different pageant. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey. Um, it, I, I have to make an announcement is with uh, gratitude and a heavy heart that we are announcing it. It's uh, Jeremy, the gunslinger's last Sunday with us. In the band. In the band. In the band. <laughs> He's not dying. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
collected a number of things, uh, statements uh, about Jeremy that are going to be read different members of the band, and maybe we can invite C.P. Larson up at the end to, to share a little bit as well. Um, Jeremy, would you please, uh, you need to come forward here. Yeah. So uh, Jeremy, and I have been, Jeremy and I have been making music together in a variety of bands since 1995, and it's nearly impossible for me as an individual to think about music without thinking of Jeremy. Um, when I'm writing songs, I'm thinking of what Jeremy might add to them or the lyrics he's going to tell me that need to be revised. Uh, while I've been heading up the band at House of Mercy, I've been blessed to have Jeremy in the band because he knows the repertoire. He can adjust his playing to just about any key, and he's 110% reliable. Here are just a few of the things I can remember about Jeremy's role over the years at House of Mercy, and I'm sure I'm forgetting at least half of what he's actually done. <laughs> Jeremy has played in the band at House of Mercy consistently since at least 2005. Um, so he's served under the leadership of Chris Larson, Raz Russell, Paige Burkham, Quill and Rowe, and me. He's been in the band in all four locations of House of Mercy. He's learned hundreds of hymns, as well as dealt with the quirks of multiple band lineups and band leaders. He's played on at least 13 of the 45 House of Mercy recordings releases. That's our, our, our church's record label, and he helped produce a number of them as well. He's the webmaster of the House of Mercy recordings website. He's run Facebook pages for different groups for the, uh, for the label. During all the months we had virtual services, Jeremy coordinated and mixed all of the weekly hymns. That was an extraordinary amount of work that he voluntarily took on. And we now have recordings of nearly all of the hymnal because of that. Jeremy's a fantastic visual artist who continues to grow and challenge himself. And over the years, he's contributed pieces to multiple House of Mercy events like the Stations of the Cross. You should all look him up at jeremyshapinski.com. Let me know if you need help spelling that last name. There is a Z in it, Shapinsky. <laughs> Finally, Jeremy is a consummate volunteer. To the best of my knowledge, he's contributed his time and talents all these years to House of Mercy. And in that way, he is a role model for all of us. And then I'm going to invite Jonah up to read uh, some words from Quill and Rowe of the Rowe Family Singers who led the band for a number of years as well. Okay. I'm always impressed by Jeremy's rock-steady calm and unflappability. New song in a weird key? No problem. Take a solo on a song he's never played before? It'll be a fun adventure. <laughs> Playing with Jeremy, I always felt supported. I knew that whatever came up, Jeremy was there for it. And not only was he there, but he'd do a great job. Jer also has a great feel for the music he plays. Every song is different, and it has its own feel. And Jeremy is very aware of that, very sensitive to it. I was also impressed that when he wanted to learn a new style of playing, he took lessons and practiced and learned it. Many players get to a point where they feel they are too good for lessons or don't need to learn new things, they get complacent. But a true artist is always pushing and growing. In the same way, I was so impressed when he remodeled his basement, including sledgehammering the floor himself. <laughs> a commitment to a task, to a job, and a process permeates him and makes him the man and artist he is and his warm, welcoming smile and generous nature. Always a gracious host, always a kind heart, always a warm soul. Thank you, Jeremy, for the years and years of amazing music you have shared with the House of Mercy community and for letting me be a part of that. You're an amazing man, and I'm honored to have worked with you. Couldn't have said it better myself, Jeremy. I will miss you in the background. That's for me, not for Quilder. <laughs> and Mr. C.P. Chris Larson. Jeremy. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
If the House of Mercy was a ship, or maybe more accurately, a fishing boat, Jeremy Shapinsky would be the rudder. He helps keep every band on a straight and smooth path, charting waters that, some, that are sometimes calm, sometimes rough, and sometimes completely unpredictable. Jer holds the band and boat steady. Jeremy can lay back elegantly, gracefully, and gracefully moving his fingers across the fretboard, but at a moment's notice or a nod, take it, Jer, he can kick it into gear, turning it up to 11. Can it go any higher, Jer? <laughs> Is it ever too loud? <laughs> Playing sweet sofo country licks, you make the edge look like he has no edge. <laughs> Jeremy is a faithful bandmate, always willing to be moving, willing to be moving to help out a friend at the drop of a country hat. Jeremy is the longest serving band member spanning years with the House of Mercy Band, the Raz Experience, the Bloodwash Band, and the Mercy Machine. I love making music with you, my friend. Keep rocking, keep mercying, and stay willing to be moving. Love, C.P. Larson. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeremy. You know, words cannot express our gratitude, and when we don't have words, we ask Angel to make a saint candle. Oh, so, nice. But she's not quite done with it yet, so there is a saint candle to come. But for now, this is to make your spirits merry, a bottle of something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. And uh, Jer Jeremy has an important announcement. Yeah. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem.
somewhere on the verge of the ridiculous and the beautiful, the miraculous and the mundane. This Christian celebration of the coming of God into the world as a helpless infant is ludicrous. As we heard in the second reading, Maria read for us from Luke's, beginning of Luke's gospel. But also in the first reading from the very beginning of John's gospel, we see these words that John writes to describe this event does not seem very much like that helpless child in Luke. No, the nativity of Jesus is simply preposterous to use those words in relation to a baby. In John, they're so grand. They're beyond grand. They're cosmic. They're foundational. They're all things. And they're not just the meaning of life. They are life itself. I mean, this is what it really says. This is what John's text says about this baby, that in him was life, and the life was the light of all people, the light that shines in the darkness, and so the darkness will not overcome it. That's quite a baby. And as if that wasn't enough, not only is this baby life itself, but this baby is the life that is the life in everyone and everything because this baby was there before anything, John's text tells us. I mean, you think a baby being born is miraculous? This is the baby that basically gave birth to everything else. Every person, planet, plant, John says, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. That's not usually how babies work. It kind of works against the whole vulnerability and helpless, helplessness that babies are kind of known for. The figure of a baby, small, helpless, naked, as the incarnation of the creator of all things is equally preposterous, but not unbelievable. John's not trying to make that point about the Messiah. He's not trying to make the point of the Messiah coming from the bottom. This Messiah is the master of the universe. Well, that's sort of a mischaracterization. It's like the creator of the universe. It's, it sounds like sort of like maybe the birther of the universe. But John's using a different metaphor than the birth thing or a different sort of uh, mythos. A different point. He's making a different point. A different point than Luke is when he writes about a young country girl giving birth to a baby who can only grow into the Messiah through the nurture of his mother Mary and the women and the men in her family. John's birth narrative doesn't start with a baby born in a barn to two peasants in Bethlehem 2,000 some years ago, but it includes it. John's birth narrative starts at the beginning. Whenever at the beginning is or was, it's just a word to talk about a wordless time. The beginning of time or before the beginning of time. 
the time before creation, because all things were created and came into being through this word of God, who entered the world on a night sometime past midnight 2,000 years ago. Neither does John's narrative end with the death and resurrection of this Jesus of Nazareth, but it includes it. It includes it in this first five verses of this book. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We know from our tradition of our faith that this baby grows to be this man who is killed and is raised from the dead, this Messiah. He continues to be the light of the world, the life in the world, the truth in the world, the light which is... Uh, overcomes the darkness, the life which overcomes death, the truth that overcomes the lie. In John's narrative, salvation, life, light, hope, and the radical transformation of the cosmos comes from above and beyond. The other gospel Marie read from today, Luke's gospel, begins from below and within, where John starts with the creator, God, uh, coming and how coming from beyond time, how is the very creative impulse that is the light and the life who becomes incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth. Luke's gospel starts with an auntie, like right away, Verse 5 in chapter 1, we're told about a priest whose wife, a descendant of Aaron, named Elizabeth, was there right at the beginning of the story. Then we hear about her miraculous pregnancy. And then it moves on to Mary, Luke's narrative. Mary, with the appearance of a messenger from God, appears to her and tells her that she will bear a son who is the Savior, who is the expected Messiah. And she receives this with humility and reverence. This isn't creator of the universe kind of stuff. This is this young country girl. And she can't believe it. She says, how can this be? And the messenger of the Lord says that God has found favor in her, even in her humble station. He says, the messenger of God says, even now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived. Now, this is almost unprecedented. Where else in scripture, certainly in gospels, do you find a messenger of God talking to one female character about another female character? It just does not happen that much. It keeps going on, this story, Luke's story, about these women, these outsiders, like way outside, out in the country, who have no power. Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth declares that generations after generations will call this young girl blessed. And then Mary gets a song. That doesn't happen very often either, that this woman gets a song, and this young woman, 
And she says these words that my God has scattered the proud, brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the lowly, has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. She sings that God has helped his children in remembrance of his mercy. There could not be a more opposite birth narrative than Luke's and John's. One is from outside and beyond, and this one is the very definition of vulnerability. This baby, I mean, no one knows, obviously, certainly, when this baby called Jesus was born, the time of year, or the time of day. Some say that June is probably the most likely time, but our tradition places it at night in the months of the shortest days and the longest night. Our tradition places the celebration of the birth of this baby Jesus, the light coming into the world in the darkest time of the year. Historically, it may not have any accuracy, but theologically, it could not be better. We can remember this night, a night so dark, the darkness so long, and a shining star that was like no star that had ever shone. The light and the darkness, the life, the fullness of life into that night. We celebrate on the long night, the cold darkness with warmth and light. We light fires, we light candles, and we burn bright. These rituals, they point us to the light, to that light of the world and the warmth is nurturing. It is the hope of all people, not just on that night 2,000 years ago, and not just on December 24th, but every night we can see these, this light and know that there is a light in the darkness to remind us We can hope in this light. We can hope in John's version of this Messiah who is outside of time, above and beyond us. And Luke's version of this light and this hope. It may not seem like this is a, there's a light that the darkness cannot defeat. But we are not foolish to continue to believe it. God has given for us this story of this hope that comes born as this vulnerable child. We can all believe and hope in that new life. It's not hard to believe in new life, in birth. We've all seen it happen. It's happened to us and continues to happen. We can have hope 
for that arc of history we always hear about curving towards justice, but we can also have the hope that every mother about to be has for the child that she carries, the new life and the light that will be born into the world that is clearly defeating the darkness. Merry Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive its King. Let every heart prepare Him home. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. He rules the world.